Well, thank you. No one claps for me at home, so uh, I had to come all the way to Ohio to get a, uh, a warm reception. So thank you so much. It's a joy to be here with you. I was here last uh, three years ago, and it's always an honor to be invited to preach someplace, but it's a double honor to be invited back. So it's, it's good to be able to, to be with you again and to be with your new pastor. I think it's been exactly uh, two years that you've been here, so uh, a wonderful anniversary for you, and obviously God is doing so many wonderful things in and through this church. The bloom is on the rose here at Providence, and this is such a wonderful place to be to worship the Lord. I know that you're going through the book of Exodus, and I so appreciate that. I love asking pastors as I travel, so what book are you preaching through? And I love it when they give me a book in the Bible, because that's how God gave us His Word. He didn't give us a topical index. He didn't give us an encyclopedia arranged by, arranged by subject matter. And He didn't even actually give us verses. He, he gave us books in the Bible. And I love hearing about churches that preach through books in the Bible. So I was told that last week you looked at Exodus 3, and so it would only be uh, right for us to look at Exodus 4 this week. So if you would take your Bible and turn with me to Exodus chapter 4, I want to just step into this moving stream and float downstream with you as you go through the book of Exodus. I've never preached the book of Exodus, and so this is a, a special treat for me to be able to dig into this text and this passage. Uh, the title of this message is, So What Is Your Excuse?, and I want us to look at the first 14 verses in Exodus chapter 4. I want to begin by reading the text and setting it before you. Then we will come back and work our way through and see what God says and what God means and what God requires. So beginning in verse 1, Then Moses said, What if they will not believe me or listen to what I say? For they may say, the Lord has not appeared to you. The Lord said to him, What is that in your hand? And he said, A staff. Then he said, Throw it on the ground. So he threw it on the ground, and it became a serpent. And Moses fled from it. But the Lord said to Moses, Stretch out your hand and grasp it by the, its tail. So he stretched out his hand and caught it, and it became a staff in his hand, that they may believe that the Lord, the God of their fathers, the God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, and the God of Jacob has appeared to you. The Lord furthermore said to him, now put your hand into your bosom. So he put his hand into his bosom. And when he took it out, behold, his hand was leprous like snow. Then he said, Put your hand into your bosom again. So he put his hand into his bosom again, and when he took it out of his bosom, behold, it was restored like the rest of his flesh. If they will not believe you or heed the witness of the first sign, they may believe the witness of the last sign. But if they will not believe even these two signs or heed what you say, then you shall take some water from the Nile and pour it on the dry ground. And the water which you take from the Nile will become blood on the dry ground. 
Then Moses said to the Lord, Please, Lord, I have never been eloquent, neither recently nor in time past, nor since you have spoken to your servant, for I am slow of speech and slow of tongue. The Lord said to him, Who has made man's mouth? Or who made him mute or deaf or seeing or blind? Is it not I, the Lord? Now then, go, and I, even I, will be with your mouth and teach you what you are to say. But he said, Please, Lord, now send the message by whomever you will. Then the anger of the Lord burned against Moses. In these verses, we see the excuses, the repeated excuses offered by Moses in response to what God has called him to do. And rather than being obedient and rather than trusting God, Moses has the audacity to offer lame excuses to God why he will not do what God has called him to do. So what is an excuse? An excuse is a feeble attempt to avoid doing what God has required you to do. An excuse is an effort to absolve yourself of personal responsibility to God. Now, it's one thing to offer excuses to another person, to your spouse, to your family, to your employer, but it is something far more serious to offer an excuse to God when it is God himself who has called you to do something. And in reality, such excuse-making is really disobedience. Let's just call it for what it is. It is disobedience before God. It is a failure to trust God. And it is a failure to pursue the will of God for your life. And this is exactly where Moses is in this passage that that we have just read. God has called Moses in the previous chapter, having appeared to Moses at the burning bush, and God revealing himself for who he is, I I am who I am. He is to go to the leaders of Israel. He is to go to the elders of Israel and say to them, God has appeared to me. And together we are to go to Pharaoh and we are to say to Pharaoh, we are to leave Egypt and to worship our God in the wilderness. That is what God has said to Moses. But Moses now begins to offer one excuse after another to relieve himself of the personal responsibility that he has before God, and he does everything he can to worm out of what God has clearly spoken to him to do. This is very practical and relevant for us today. This isn't just about Moses. This is about you, and this is about me, and the excuses that we can offer to God why we do not give full obedience to his word and do what he requires us to do. There's not a one of us in this 
house today, beginning with the one standing behind this pulpit, who has not offered excuses to God at various times in our Christian life and perhaps even in this present moment. And we need to take heed as we put ourselves into Moses' sandals and learn the lessons that God has for him. So as we look at these 14 verses this morning, we will note three excuses that, God, that Moses offers to God. And the first excuse is found in verses 1 through 9. The first excuse is, they will not believe me. So notice beginning in verse 1, then Moses said, he's addressing God, what if they, and the they refers to the elders of Israel and then ultimately to the king of Egypt, to Pharaoh, what if they will not believe me or listen to what I say, question mark? Now, you need to understand this is not a question that Moses is raising per se. It is actually an indicative statement. It is actually Moses saying to God that they will not believe me when I go to them, therefore I am not going. Now, we need to understand what's going on inside of Moses because it's what goes on inside of us. Moses has become preoccupied with the results. He has become preoccupied not with what God has called him to do, but what will be the outcome of what God has called him to do. And here is where Moses is failing with God. Moses has forgotten that God calls us to be faithful, not to be successful. Now, Moses is being a pragmatist. Moses is being like so many of us, focused on what will work rather than what God says to do in His Word. God has called Moses to be faithful, to go to the leaders of Israel, and then for them together to go to, to Pharaoh. That is Moses' responsibility. He is to be faithful to bring the message, but he is to leave the results with God. It is only God who can bring true results. It is only God who can germinate a, a seed when it is sown into the soil of someone's heart. Uh, we, we, we are to plant, we are to water, but it is only God who can cause the growth. And Moses has totally lost sight of this. He only wants to do what he thinks in his mind will work rather than what is right. Sometimes churches can fall into this this trap as well. The Bible says that we are to preach the Word of God. The Bible says that we are to sing hymns to the Lord and psalms and spiritual songs. But some churches say, well, then that'll empty the church. Then nobody will come if all we do is preach the Word of God and sing to the glory of God. And such churches like that fall into the very same trap as Moses. They are success-oriented rather than being faithful-oriented. We are to do what God calls us to do and leave the results with God. And so Moses goes on at the end of verse 1 and says, For they, referring to the elders of Israel, may say the Lord has not appeared 
to you. You know, we do much the same as Moses. God says to us in His Word to go into all the world and make disciples. He tells us to witness the gospel of Jesus Christ to others. And we talk ourselves out of witnessing to others because we assume that they will not believe the message. So therefore, I'm not going to waste my gunpowder. Therefore, I'm not going to go ahead and do what God calls me to do because I know they're not going to believe me. Our responsibility is to take the gospel to every living person, whether they believe or they do not believe. And sometimes we talk ourselves out of prayer. And we have been praying and praying about something and things don't happen. And then there's another uh, need that comes up and we rationalize and assume, well, I'm not going to pray because my prayers have not been answered recently. That's not our responsibility to figure out what God is going to do, not going to do, or only do that which we know will be successful. God even called the prophets of old to preach, and God told them on the front end, they're not going to believe, the people are not going to believe, but I will be glorified just in my name being proclaimed here upon the earth. We must be very careful and not to marginalize what God has said in his word for us to do and be tapping the and be tapping the brakes and not move forward to do what he so clearly said in his word to do. So as we continue to look at this, God needs to bolster Moses's faith to do what he should be doing, which is obedience to the Word of God. And so God gives three signs. In verses 2 through 9, God gives three signs in rapid-fire, staccato fashion. And the first sign is in, begins in verse 2. The Lord said to him, to Moses, what is in your hand? And he, Moses, said, a staff. Now, a staff, staff is just an ordinary plain piece of wood. It's a shepherd's crook. It's a crooked piece of wood. It's very plain. It's very ordinary. It's not a jeweled scepter. It's just a piece of wood, just like Moses is an ordinary plain instrument in the hand of God. And so... God said to him in verse 3, throw it on the ground. In other words, put it on the ground so it's no longer under your control. Put it on the ground where it's out of your hand. Put it on the ground so that I can work. So he, Moses, threw it on the ground just like God commanded him to do. Moses obeyed God in this very simple command, and it became a serpent. The power of God was upon that rod, and God performed a miracle before the very startled eyes of Moses, and the, the staff was transformed into that which had life, was transformed into a, a serpent, something of which Moses was very fearful and we read at the end of verse 3, and Moses fled from it. 
just like Moses was fleeing from the will of God at this moment, just like Moses was fleeing from obedience to the Lord. And there is a, there is a message that God has for Moses through each of these miracles. Verse 4, but the Lord said to Moses, stretch out your hand and grasp it by the tail. Now, this will require an enormous step of faith on Moses' part to reach down and pick up this snake by the tail, which is the most dangerous part uh, of the of the serpent because it can now turn around or tur- turn around and, and bite him, and Moses now must obey God to do that which is very fearful in his heart to do. And I hope you understand the parallelism that's going on here because God is showing Moses, teaching him a lesson that you must step forward and obey me even in that which is fearful to you, just like I'm telling you to pick up this snake. So we read at the end of verse 4, So he, Moses, stretched out his hand and, and caught it, and when he did, it became a staff in his hand. And the lesson for Moses is you do what God calls you to do. And God has absolute sovereign power over the results. And the God who can turn a staff into a serpent and back to a staff is the God who holds the hearts of the leaders of Israel in the palm of his hand and is the God who holds the heart of Pharaoh in the palm of his hand And as Proverbs 21, verse 1 says, the heart of the king is in the hand of the Lord. And like rivers of water, he channels it whichever way he will. If God holds the king's heart in the palm of his hand, it's an argument from the greater to the lesser, how much more so then does he hold the hearts of lesser citizens in any nation and in any kingdom? The message is very clear for Moses. You need to step out by faith and not be paralyzed by your fears. And as you step out in obedience to me, I have power over that which you doubt will ever come to pass. And so he says so in verse 5, that they, referring to the leaders of Israel, may believe that the Lord the God of their fathers, the God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, the God of Jacob, has appeared to you. Now, this is an extraordinary statement. Don't miss what is being said here. God is saying to Moses that if you will step out in obedience to me, I will cause the hearts of men to be turned to do what I require them to do. We need to also understand that there is no square inch of the universe over which God is not sovereign, and that includes the hearts of men and women. And even Pharaoh's heart will be like child's play in the hand of God, as God, it will say ten times in the book of, in the book of Exodus, that God will harden the heart 
of Pharaoh so that Pharaoh will do the will of God. So that's the first lesson that Moses must learn. We come to the second sign. It's in verse 6, and it's really the second verse, same as the first. It is to reinforce the very same principle. Moses, you obey, and you leave the results to me. So in verse 6, the Lord furthermore said to him, now put your hand into your bosom. And so what he's saying, put your hand into your cloak. So it seemed like a very obtuse request, but Moses does not request God to explain why or what's about to happen. Moses now will simply do what God tells him to do. So we read in the middle of verse 6, so he, Moses, put his hand into his bosom. Moses immediately obeyed God in this very simple request, without questioning God, without hesitating. And we read at the end of verse 6, and when he took it out, behold, his hand was leprous like snow. He put his hand into the cloak. His hand was bronze. It was brown. He's been out in the sun uh, in the wilderness for 40 years. He puts it into the cloak. He pulls out his bronze hand, and it's as white as snow. It is now leprous. And leprosy was incurable by man. Leprosy was a dreaded skin disease that as it would continue to persist, the fingers would drop off, the hand would drop off. And this is a fearful thing for Moses. Just like it was fearful for Moses to go to the leaders of Israel and fearful to go to Pharaoh, again, God is telling Moses and showing Moses by these miracles that you need to do that which is fearful to you but is obedient to me, and you need to leave the results to me. So verse 7, Then God said, Put your hand into your bosom again. And no doubt Moses would be somewhat fearful and hesitant to put his hand back into his cloak, into his bosom, because something more dreadful than leprosy would happen. And if Moses is focused only on the results, he will not put his hand into the cloak. But here now, in simple obedience to what God requires, Moses will comply. And we read at the end of verse 7, and when he took it out of his bosom, behold, (laughs) it was restored like his flesh. And this is yet another miracle within the miracle. And the lesson from Moses was clear. Moses, you obey me. You do what I require of you to do, and you leave the results to me. You simply do what's right. And I am a make-it-happen God And I will turn the hearts of the leaders of Israel to receive your message. 
Just a footnote. Here's something else you need to know. That in the previous chapter, chapter 3, verse 18, God has already told Moses that the leaders of Israel will respond positively when he goes to them. And Moses is really living in rank unbelief, to be honest. He, he disbelieves that God will do what God has said he will do. Now, there's a third sign in verse 8. And this is just coming in rapid-fire succession. And if they will not believe you, God is still the speaker, or heed the witness of the first sign, which is the turning of the staff into the serpent, they may believe the witness of the last sign, which is his hand becoming leprous, and then back to healthy again. If they won't believe the first two signs, verse 9 now is the third sign. But if they will not believe even these two signs or heed what you say, then you shall take some water from the Nile and pour it on the ground. Again, this is just a rather obtuse request. doesn't seem to make any sense. Uh, and God says in verse 9, And the water which you take from the Nile will become blood on the dry ground. And this is what God will do before the eyes of Pharaoh when God sends Moses to Pharaoh. But here's the point. It, it is only God who can turn a staff into a serpent and back to a staff. It is only God who can turn a hand from, from healthy to unhealthy back to healthy. It is only God who can turn water into blood. Again, something very fearful to behold. And it is God and God alone who can cause the success of your life, of your ministry, if you will walk the path of obedience to the Word of God, then you leave the results to God. Now, I can anticipate what some people think. There is the thinking today, especially with younger millennials, that obedience is legalism. That we're free in grace, and we can live however we want to live. And obedience is confining me. Obedience is not legalism. Obedience is Christianity 101. Obedience is discipleship. Obedience is sanctification. Obedience is growing in the grace and knowledge of the Lord Jesus Christ. In fact, if someone is living an ongoing, habitual, disobedient life and claims to be a Christian, they are not a Christian. They are self-deceived. And they have convinced themselves of a counterfeit conversion, and they have a fake faith and bogus belief because the mark of a true Christian is a heart that desires to please God and to obey God. The other thing we need to understand about obedience is every step of obedience to the Word of God is a step into the very center of the will of God, and God blesses obedience. 
And every step of disobedience is a step away from the will of God, and it is a step away from the blessing of God, and it may ultimately lead to the Lord's discipline of that person's life. And as we will see in a moment in verse 14, it will kindle the anger of God toward the one who is living in protracted disobedience. Obedience honors God, and God honors obedience. That is a lesson that Moses needed to learn, and it is a lesson that you and I need to learn as well. So as you look at your own life, as you look at your own heart, In what areas of your life do you feel that you have been slow to obey God and perhaps have been offering excuses to God why you cannot move forward to comply with His Word? We do not want to be like Moses. Delayed obedience is no obedience. Delayed obedience is disobedience. We need to be first-time obedient followers of Christ. Now we come to verse 10 and the second excuse that Moses offers. Here, here, Moses, he's got a a deep well of excuses. And he's got another queued up now for God. And in verse 10, the excuse is, I cannot speak well. God, you're calling me to go speak to the leaders of Israel and to speak to, to, to Pharaoh, but Moses says to God, I, I cannot speak well. That's why I can't go. That's why I will not do this. So look at verse 10. Then Moses said to the Lord, please, Lord, and it sounds so sanctimonious, I have never been eloquent. Literally, the word eloquent here means um, a man of words. I've never been a man of words. Um, I'm not fluent in speech. Uh, I'm not well-spoken. And we might say, Lord, I'm an introvert, and I'm not a public speaker, and I don't like standing in front of people, and I don't like speaking uh, to others. I don't like confrontation. Whatever the, the, the excuse is... Moses here says, I've never been eloquent, so therefore I'm pulling myself out of the list of speakers. And he adds on top of that, just to reinforce this, neither recently, that would be the last several days or weeks, nor in time past, uh, further back, nor since you have spoken to your servant, referring to standing at the burning bush. In other words, Lord, I've been this way my whole life. He says in verse 10 at the end, For I am slow of speech and and slow of tongue. Literally in the Hebrew, it it means heavy of mouth and heavy of tongue. I I have a speech problem. When I speak, it's like there are marbles in my mouth. I I can't speak before others. I'm thick-tongued. I stutter. I stammer. These are just smoke screens of excuses. 
that Moses is offering to God. So how do you think the Lord responded to this? Oh, Moses, I guess you're right. I forgot about that. I really hadn't thought that through. I love you, but you have a better plan for your life. Notice what God says in verse 11. The Lord said to him, Who has made man's mouth? Moses, who made your mouth? Who made you with the abilities and the limitations that that you have? In other words, Moses, I made you exactly the way that I wanted to make you. It's like Spurgeon said, if God's called you to preach, he'll give you a heart and a voice. If he's called you to fly, he'll give you wings. I mean, God will give you whatever it is God calls you to do. Your responsibility is not to go into a self-analysis. Your responsibility is to obey God. And so the Lord said to him, Who has made man's mouth? Or who makes him mute or deaf or seeing or blind? In another statement of the sheer sovereignty of God over even the physical abilities of, of man, God is saying to Moses, Moses, I made you exactly the way I, I chose to make you And I know exactly what I'm doing with your life. And I'm telling you, go to the leaders of Israel and then go to Pharaoh and to say to him, let my people go. Obedience. Whether you understand it or not, whether you like it or not, obedience from the heart is what God requires. And so God, in verse 12, really to help encourage Moses, to to help promote the obedience that needs to be present in Moses' life, in verse 12, says, now then go. In other words, stop the complaining. Stop with these empty excuses. And I, even I, will be with your mouth and teach you what you are to say. In other words, God will supply to Moses everything that Moses needs to fulfill this mission, and all that Moses needs is God. It's like John Knox, the great Scottish reformer, said in the 16th century, God plus one always makes a majority. And the whole world, Moses, could be against you. But if I am with you, there is no resistance that the world can can make that will hinder my eternal purposes from moving forward. 1 John 4, 4, greater is he who is in you than he who is in the world. And Jesus said the same in the Great Commission in Matthew 28, verse 20, Lo, I'm with you always, even to the end of the age. God is saying to Moses, I am a make-it-happen God. You simply need to obey me and go, and I will take it from there. Again, we can be so much like Moses. We want some guarantee on the front end that this is all going to work out. We want something 
that is of certainty that will be successful before I am going to start this project or start this journey. And God is saying to us, as he said to Moses, you are to do what I have told you to do. I am the sovereign. You are the servant. You are to be in submission to me. And you are to be surrendered to me. And you are to comply with my every order. Well, Moses, you would think, would get the message by this point. But it shows how stubborn our flesh can be. And Moses now presents one more excuse to God. And in verse 13, the excuse is, send someone else. Love the plan, send someone else. Put someone else in the starting lineup. Here am I, send Aaron. So look at verse 13. But he, Moses, said, Please, Lord, now send the message by whomever you will. That's a very evasive way of saying how the ESV renders it. Please send someone else. Moses is just unwilling to go. Moses will not go speak to the leaders of Israel, and he will not go to Pharaoh. There is a complete, total failure on Moses' part to follow the will and the word of God. I think this shows that there is no one among us today who would not be vulnerable to such a lure if Moses, the great leader of Israel, Moses, the great lawgiver on Sinai, Moses, who led the people of God out of Egyptian bondage and through the wilderness to the very brink of the promised land, if even Moses can succumb to such excuse-making, how much more so are you and I gullible to such temptation? So how does God respond in verse 14? Does God take this lightly? Does God uh, meet Moses halfway? Notice verse 14. Then the anger of the Lord burned against Moses. Moses has now crossed the line with God. Moses has offered one excuse too many to God. Moses has tried the patience of God. Moses has said no to God one time too many, and the anger of the Lord is kindled towards Moses. Someone may say, well, I didn't think God could be angry with a believer. Aren't we all forgiven, and God could never be upset with me? Well, read your Bible again in verse 14. Then the anger of the Lord burned against Moses. It's not hard to understand. It may be hard to swallow, but it's not hard to understand. The word anger here is a very strong word. In the original Hebrew, 
It means nostrils or the flaring of the nostrils, and it referred to the anger that comes out with heavy breathing. That the anger of God is passionate and strong against Moses. And it is, his anger is burned. It is ignited. It is inflamed with this disobedience and excuse-making that Moses is offering to God. Now, as we are going through the book of Exodus and as we have come to this chapter, this is a very challenging portion of Scripture. This is not a little pat on the head for Moses, and it's not intended to be a pat on the head for any one of us here today. It's probably intended to be a kick on the backside to get us off our duff and to get us moving out with God to do what God has so clearly revealed in the pages of Scripture. And so the question for you is what has God spoken in His Word, His written Word for you to do that you're dragging your feet, that you're offering excuses to God not to do? Is it you're reluctant to love someone who is hard to love? Is it you're withholding your giving to the Lord and to the church, rationalizing, well, we'll just not be able to make it through the month? Is it failing to step forward to serve in the church and continue to remain as a spectator and to rationalize and say, well, they don't need me or I, I'm not gifted for this or whatever? Is it a failure, perhaps, someone here today to surrender to the call of missions and to go to the mission field with the gospel? And you've been tapping the brakes and tapping the brakes, and perhaps this message really is like an arrow shot from the bow of God from heaven to hit your heart to say, do not continue to give me these excuses. You know I have tapped you on the shoulder and called you to go and serve me in this very unique way. What is it that God has called you to do that you're holding back doing just like Moses? And what would it take for God to get your attention? What would it take for God to demonstrate His power over your life to bring you the assurance, I've got this under control. You step out and obey me. Now, as I bring this to conclusion, let me tell you what's the worst excuse anyone in this room would ever give to God. It is this excuse. I don't need to be born again. I'm a pretty good person. I can get into heaven. I was a member of this church. I served in the nursery. I've served with the teenagers. I've given my resources to the Lord. 
I don't need to surrender my life to God. I don't need to submit to the lordship of Christ. I, I, I don't need to burn my bridges behind me and turn away from the world and turn exclusively to the Lord Jesus Christ. I don't need to commit my life to the lordship of Jesus Christ. I'm good the way that I am. That is the worst excuse that anyone could ever give because Jesus himself said, truly, truly, I say unto you, except a man is born again, he cannot see the kingdom of heaven. He cannot enter into the kingdom, kingdom of heaven. God says to each and every one of us that we must deny ourselves and take up a cross and be a follower of Jesus Christ. Jesus says to us, except a man hate his own father and mother and brother and sister, yes, even his own life, he cannot be my disciple. And except a man deny himself, take up a cross and follow me, he cannot be my disciple. Now, the Scripture is calling each and every one of us, God through the Scripture is calling every person that you must believe in Jesus Christ. You must, as, a, as an act of your will, surrender your life and be repentant and turn to the Lord and embrace Him with humble, saving faith. Do not show up on the last day when you stand before the Lord with a suitcase full of excuses of why you did not sell out to Christ and to give your life completely to Him. Because every one of those excuses will be like snowballs thrown against the rock of Gibraltar. It will have zero effect, except a man, a woman, a boy, a girl is born again. He, she cannot enter the kingdom of heaven. But today, the gates of paradise are swung wide open. Today, the Savior is saying, Come unto me, all you who are weary and heavy laden, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn of me, for I am meek and lowly in heart. You shall find rest for your souls, for my burden is easy and my load is light. Come to Christ. Throw yourself upon his mercy. This Christ who was born of a virgin, who lived a sinless and perfect life, who went to the cross, who bore the sins of his people, who alone satisfied the righteous anger of God towards sinners, who has reconciled holy God and sinful man through the blood of his cross. This Jesus who, with his death, has purchased for himself a bride. This Jesus who was taken from the cross, buried, raised on the third day, has ascended to the right hand of God the Father, and whosoever shall call upon the name of the Lord shall be saved. For there is salvation in no other name, for there is no other name under heaven given among men whereby we must be saved. There is one God and one mediator between God and man, the man Christ Jesus, who gave his life a ransom for all, the testimony born at the proper time. 
This Jesus who says, I am the way and the truth and the life. No one comes to the Father but through me. There are no exceptions. Jesus alone is the Savior of sinners. May you come to Christ. May you believe upon Christ. May you do so this very moment. And he will receive you if you will come with humble, childlike faith. Let us pray. Father in heaven, this example of Moses, you've placed it in the Bible. And here it is, 2021. It was written 3,500 years ago. And here it is, speaking to us. And it is requiring something of us. It is requiring our immediate obedience to your word. And so I pray that you would make clear to every heart here today what the next step must be to live in obedience to you. Father, we pray this in the mighty name of Jesus Christ, our sovereign Lord and Savior. Amen.